I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How are you now? Broadcasting from the VFS studios at Northbridge in Sydney. You are listening to the all-new BIP Show Season 5, Episode 10. Phones on silent, please. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that all the financial information in this podcast is general in nature. Only speak to a professional advisor about your needs. If you don't know what general advice is, stick around because we're probably going to have someone who will be able to help us work through exactly what is going to be changing that area as well. I am James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. Uh, I believe Paul Colgan has cleared customs coming back from Davos, but is struggling to find a cab back and the trains are on strike. We wish him all the best on his journeys. Uh, This episode is being recorded, as mentioned, in Sydney. The date today is the 9th of the 9th, 2022 AD, and the time is 9.05 in the AM Australian Eastern Standard Time. We will continue to remain unsponsored until such a time as we have an alignment that every single anonymous person on the internet is okay with. I really pay attention to what you say. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate us, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. I'd like to also take this opportunity, if I may, to pay respects to the passing of Her Majesty the Queen. Uh, black armbands are on here at the BIP Show HQ, and a few glasses will be raised once it is a slightly more appropriate time to do so. Uh, huge lineup of guests today, so let's just get cracking into it. First off, we've got Kyle Rodder from Ausbiz. He's going to be talking about the week that was and is interesting guests that they've had. We've also got later, we've got tech guru John Debua. Uh, he's talking about trends in tech and recruitment and all sorts of fun stuff that's going in there. We've also got Ian Aspinall, Head of Sales and Relationships at Open Markets. I believe, unless that's changed in some time in the last 10 minutes. Uh, he's going to talk about some of the changes that uh, that are, big, are coming up in the advice section. Big, important for anyone with a super fund, anyone who gets advice, anyone who gives advice. He's going to tell us it's going to be good because I've seen the changes that have been made. I haven't actually had a real chance to get down and get dirty with it. So hopefully Ian will be able to help us out with uh, what's going on in that one. Uh, right, first off, we've got uh, – I'm going to do this in – non-alphabetical order, uh, checking attendance. I've got Kyle. Kyle, how are you now? Good, good, good. How are you? Not so bad. Aspie, you're on the phone too. You good there? I am. Thanks, James. Mate, your levels are coming in fine. Now, uh, Kyle Rodder from Ausbiz, let's go through your guest list this week. Who mm-hmm. was hot, who was not? Um, what was some interesting stuff that came out of your Ausbiz experience, apart from the fact that you have the spicy cough? I do have the spicy cough, although I got, uh, so far, I got through it pretty, uh, pretty well, actually. Very, very mild. So, Apologies to any guests who uh, may have come in Monday and Tuesday when I thought it was just a little bit of hay fever and might be stuck at home themselves now. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it happens. Yeah. You get that on the big jobs, mate. It's going to be okay. Yes, but uh, no, all all's well. Um, hot and not. Well, I'll, I'll stick to the hot because I wouldn't want to besmirch anyone. I mean, we don't we <laughs> don't do, we don't do not at Ausbiz. It, it, it's all hot. It's all hot. Yeah, it's all hot. But um, I mean, it's hard to go past two things. I think during this week, uh, just. 
top line kind of stuff post-mortem when it comes to earning season and no one can really tell me whether it was a good one or a bad one um good pe- people who say that it's good is that you know earnings were largely better than expectations bad ones you know maybe a lack of guidance and uh, perhaps uh, you know we're, we're sort of looking still potentially at a you know sort of earnings downgrade cycle to to come. Um, but also there was the macro stuff that was really really prominent. Best interview I think I saw, and again I've been off for a couple of days yeah. working from home, so I've been able to talk directly uh, with folks. Um, but my favourite interview for the week so far was um, uh, Stephen Miller from GSFM. I always. Mess up the uh, business's acronym there. Close um, enough, mate. I'm, v- I'm VHS to a lot of people on your show, so it's uh, VHS. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great vintage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but basically, he, his key point, and I, I do feel it as though that we're, we're back on the macro front now with with US earnings and Aussie earnings season over, is this kind of almost insane desire. And I think that the term that Stephen used was the market's tortured attempts to look for pivots. Uh, in the language uh, of, and, and I suppose in the guidance of almost every central bank, and that the RBA, although that they didn't really pivot in any kind of sense, uh, saw that the slightest opening that things could sort of back off a little bit, and it gave risk assets a, a, an excuse to rally, which of course, you know, obviously will, as we've sort of discussed in the past, and less so in Australia because the transmission mechanism is different, but in the States in particular, if the market starts to rally and financial conditions loosen again because, you know, the language is, is seen to be, you know, maybe ambiguous enough to, to open that door, uh, that creates a situation where things are, are still too accommodative, accommodative for the Fed and they have to, you know, obviously react again by being even more aggressive in their language to, to sort of push financial conditions to where they want it to be. So for me, that's that's the two things. You get your micro with the earnings season post-mortem and then the macro with the, the central bank talk. Yeah, it, it, it does seem like the markets really needed an excuse. Uh, first off, they needed an excuse to come off after Powell didn't pivot and everyone was ready for for what happened. Mm. I personally, if I was gonna if I was gonna throw my hat into the ring, and I do because that's what I get paid to do, I think that we're gonna get rug pulled again um, to the downside on this one. I was I've, I've just been looking at the data and, and seeing exactly what's going on. The markets will have more of a reason to sell off um, as the Fed continues unabated into what it's doing. Um, Powell does not care. He'll ke- he keep on going probably a little bit higher. And you've seen what's happened in Europe as well, 75 last night. Going to be another 75 again soon. It's uh, um, that, that that will be unstoppable as well. Everything until China really starts to wake up. I, th- I thought the market would probably come off and then we'd be buying into the end of September. I'll go into that with Heath Moss a little later. Anything else going on in your world, mate? Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose we've got a lot of currency folks coming in trying to talk about what the US dollar is going, uh, what, what the US dollar is doing and what it could potentially mean. And the other thing that has been really interesting recently too is that, I mean, I'm trying to drag, I think we were talking about this last time, the, the, the lack of conversation around what QT could mean. Um, but I'm still trying to drag in a lot of, um, guests to talk about exactly that and some rate strategists. And I actually had a really good chat. This was probably three weeks ago now though, um, with, um, Joseph Wang. So, okay, fat guy for folks who are out there. Um, and his his whole um, push being that the markets are really, really bad at pricing and regime change. Um, they're not appreciating, uh, obviously, what the Fed is trying to do and then also don't appreciate the, the kind of wave that's going to come um, through the markets when quantitative tightening actually takes effect, which, you know, as I'm sure you've discussed recently in Two Wheels, is that um, it's only really... Uh, picked up pace in the, in the last couple of weeks. You know, it's been a drop in the ocean when it comes to balance sheet normalisation. So that's probably the other thing too, which, you know, probably like you were just saying before, uh, James, 
suggest that there's another leg down because financial conditions can tighten a hell of a lot more from here. Yeah, that's right. And and funnily enough, we're going to go into this. Uh, I'm going to be able to link this through with what we're going to talk about with Johnny uh, in just a few minutes. Are uh, that with regards to the the next leg down is probably going to be from what we're going to see in the tech space. An amazing stat that I had out this week was that the S&P 500 is trading about 16 and a half times, which sort of seems fairish. However, the top 10 stocks are around 24 times. It's still really, really high. If you take those top 10, top 10 stocks out and just have the S&P 490, it's about 14 something times forward earnings, That's which is now suddenly starts to get a bit more fair. Those big top stocks are still keeping the market as a whole overvalued. Mm. That's, that's a sticking point for me at the moment, although I do like tech. And I like quality tech. There's a point when I need to be uh, I need to be a buyer, um, and I'm not sure that this point is exactly that uh, that time. Mm. All right, cheers for that. We're going to throw now to the head of sales at Open Markets, Ian Aspinall, good friend of mine, good friend of the shows, uh, has done a lot of great work for us. Has made himself a subject matter expert of sorts in the, this field of advice with the advice changes that are coming up. A lot of people talking about some stuff that happened this week, and a lot of people talking about the changes of advice that will be going forward this year and next year potentially. Uh, mate, I'm just going to hand it over. Ian Aspinall, go. James, thanks for that, mate. Hey, um, there's a saying, may you live in interesting times. Well, we're certainly living in interesting times for Australian financial services regulation. So so there's a couple of things that have come out over the last month or so, particularly around crypto and advice. I'm going to jump into crypto first. So first off, people um, should realise, especially if you're sort of dealing in crypto for, for um, DIY investing or um, the like, um, the Australian government is actually proposing that um, that crypto assets are excluded from being treated as a foreign currency in Australia for income tax purposes. So foreign currency in Australia for tax, you'd have to actually um, bring the currency back to the Australian dollar to report your income. Um, that's not going to be the case moving forward. It is subject to a Treasury consultation paper, but that won't be the case moving forward. Um, the main driver of that is actually the government of El Salvador adopting Bitcoin as a legal tender. And also there's a place in our Argentina, Mendoza, which is a province that's now actually collecting crypto for tax purposes. So um, so that's really pushed the Treasury Department into making sure that, that crypto is actually treated um, in a different way when it comes to income tax purposes. Obviously, we're all aware that, um, that um, the exchanges that deal in crypto here in Australia now must report you into the Australian tax office if you're trading crypto. So you're not going to get away from the income tax that comes with that. Now, now that flows on into the Treasury Department's consultation paper discussing how crypto is actually going to be regulated in Australia. You know, currently it's only subject to the APRA requirements of the AML CTF requirements, and that's that's the the counterterrorism and 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 money laundering requirements. So what what Treasury are looking at doing is is actually making crypto a financial product in Australia, and that's going to yeah. operate under a new single licensing regime. So it's going to be um, separate from the existing Australian financial services licensing regime, and they're talking about um, what they call crypto asset secondary service providers or, or CASPers, and those CASPers are largely going to be defined as somebody who's an exchange, a service that offers transfer of crypto assets, a service that might offer custody in crypto access, or anybody who participates and provides financial services relating to a crypto asset. Now, now the government is intending on putting the same sort of um, uh, obligations that an Australian financial services licensee has on these CASPers, but it's looking like it's going to be a separate product. And again, this is really most probably an interesting point for your um, um, investors in um, uh, in self-managed super funds, because once it becomes a financial services product and it's regulated, then obviously there's going to be a lot more use for crypto within the Australian investing landscape. Yeah, spot on. And this this does go back to a podcast I had with 
um, where was he from? RMIT uh, expert, whose name has eluded me, but he was talking about this was this was the next big jump that was needed in the crypto space to to normalize it and get it into get it into hands as a, as a, a normal asset. So this sort of is is a step in the right direction, I believe, as far as we're conversing that day. Absolutely, but I think I think the term normalisation is an interesting one, um, James, because um, because ASICs just recently came out with a, a warning to what we might call Robin Hood style brokers here in Australia, who um, who are providing sort of um, low cost brokerage, and and their warning um, to those Robin Hood style brokers is 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 this addition of new features such as things like security lending and cryptocurrency investing, and and essentially what ASIC is saying to these um, AFSLs that are providing these services is they're concerned about bundling high-risk offerings as a way to soften their their low revenue basis from low-cost equity trading and and giving the appearance that crypto is actually as safe as equities. So ASIC have actually come out, um, even though crypto is not regulated by ASIC, and again, we've just spoken to the fact that that we are looking at, at crypto becoming a financial product, but ASIC have come out and basically to put brokers on notice to say that their decision to offer unregulated crypto trading alongside regulated financial products like shares on the same platform may provide investors with a false sense of security. Mm. So, so this is something that those Robin Hood style trading platforms are looking at right now and ASIC are scrutinising these claims for zero or low cost brokerage where maybe those zero or low cost brokerage are being supplemented by items that have got a higher risk or a higher charge associated. Okay, I can sort of follow that. Now, what else was going on in the advice stuff that 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 was going to be changing? Yeah, sure. So, so then what you've got is you've got the levy inquiry that's that's come into the quality of advice, and really what the levy inquiry is talking to is about how to make advice more affordable and more accessible by the Australian um, public. Now, this review is not completed, and levy needs actually go and, and do a review of the insurance industry and come back with the suggestions from there. And we're going to end up most, most probably another consultation paper that will go around it. But look, a little bit of history. The future of financial advice reforms back in June 2012, uh, FSR back in 2001. Um, you know, those um, two reforms introduced um, a statement of advice, SOAs, record of advice, ROAs, the best interest duty, opt-in, fee disclosure statements, conflicted remuneration. And that's really provided a a large cost to the people providing advice who then have got to pass that cost on to the consumer. So so what Levy is trying to do is introduce a best advice um, sort of duty. And that best advice duty is going to allow, hopefully, the cost of advice to be reduced. And, and that couldn't be either in one of two ways. One is um, it will strip out the general advice provision. So you will have either personal advice or you'll have this best advice duty and and by stripping out a lot of the the compliance regime to do with things like safe harbor best interest duties all that type of stuff hopefully that will bring the cost of financial advisors providing advice down and those costs will be able to or those savings will be able to pass on to the end consumer the second component though and and look we've got for example, a, a stochastic modelling solution here at Open Markets we call um, OM Advice. Um, what will happen is is those um, digital platforms or algorithms that run digital platforms are actually going to be subject to that that best advice duty as well. And and the important thing about that is that may allow banks, fund managers or insurers a way to provide simple advice to consumers that wouldn't necessarily have to be provided by a licensed financial services advisor. So case in point, you could use a, um, a, a stochastic modelling or a digital advice platform. Um, again, that platform is subject to the, the best advice duties and, and a 
non-AFSL authorised rep um, may be able to use that system to provide advice to a consumer at a much lower cost, um, uh, taking out those um, those safe harbour or those best interest duties that, that normally would be applied to a financial advisor. Yep, that's, uh, which is pretty good. So the ability to automate it, make it more achievable, make it cheaper, um, because a, a lot of people, a lot of retail clients in the market have have really had advice taken away from them too expensive or people just don't want to touch it because it's literally just it's 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 too hot it's too dangerous to, to be able to take the risk of going to it for what's I relatively that, yeah, yeah I think a combination of, of both the FOFA reforms and also the Haynes Royal Commission, you know, I mean, we've seen advisor numbers drop from about 27,000 advisors down to about 16,000. And we were just throwing some numbers around the, the the business the other day. You know, we think that that's about a seven and a half million, uh, million hours of, of advice that has been removed per annum from the Australian financial services landscape. Now, now some of those people should leave for the right reasons. <laughs> some of those yeah. people might have left for the wrong reasons. Yeah. But, but, but certainly the problem is, is when you you remove that amount of advice from the market, then obviously the cost of advice is going to go up. And, yep. and it really does become the domain of, of high net worth investors or, or people who have the salaries that can support the the three and a half to four thousand dollars it costs for an annual review. And that's an annual review. We're not talking about people who need advice on a six monthly basis or a quarterly basis. Those costs even increase there. Okay. So yeah, it does seem like it's normalising the industry, which is which is good, and not swinging it too far in the other direction. But I think that I think that we can all agree that there has been a pretty big burden on the advising space for the last few years. That I think we've been managing to deal with as best that we can because it's our it's our career and our jobs, and we love it. Um, but yeah, it does seem like it's a step in the right direction here. Absolutely, and and look, we look forward to it because I think it's about time that that the the onerous burden that we've had through through regulation and look there has been reasons for it but now it's time to normalize it it's now it's time to get it into the hands of the average australian and hopefully the average australian will be better advised yeah that's right now what was the timeline on this one so the timeline, it's still subject to um, to the review process. Again, I, um, Levy's still actually got to look at the insurance side of life. Yeah. Um, I think you'll most probably find that that um, uh, the um, the um, recommendations or the review will be suggested up to government, most probably middle to late next year, um, and then we'll see the outcomes from there. Excellent. All right. Well, anything else to say? Otherwise, we'll move on with the show. Thanks, James. Good on you, mate. Mate, switching straight over to National Sales Manager of Our Cloud, uh, and whilst yeah, okay, he can go ahead and plug his company, go nuts. Uh, I was having a fascinating conversation with him earlier in the week, Jonathan DeBoer. Uh, mate, first off, front row center, how are you now? Good, buddy. Good, good, good. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we were talking the, uh, the, a few days ago just about some of the fascinating stuff. First off, what do you do and how do you make money? Is the way that I always want to introduce my guests so that people know who you are. Um, I'm a national sales manager for a company called iCloud. We, we sell sort of ICT services, managed services, uh, and I run a sales team across um, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne and Perth. Now, we've noticed that there's this huge shift that's going on, sort of it's, it's a weird generational shift, I, I guess you could call it, of people who are making the shift out of out of certain industries into tech, um, mm-hmm. Potentially being lured by the, the, the size and the swell, and people are making moves inside tech as well. The job shifting and the payments and the bonuses are pretty exorbitant. Um, and you you had a few things that you just wanted to mention about that, just for people for people to be aware of and people to to to, to be warned about. Yeah, look, I mean, it was a really interesting chat, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Just kind of out of nowhere, but. Um... 
look, I, I mean, I sort of live with it day in, day out, and, and I've been in tech for 23 years, so much of my network is is sort of built around this world. And, and you know, d- during COVID and since then, we, we've seen an increasing number of, of, of jobs out there, specifically tech, primarily sort of uh, sales related. And, 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 you know, you're seeing because of that, people are looking to poach the best salespeople and the best people from different companies. So they're throwing great big salaries at them, um, which is obviously great. That's fantastic. Everyone wants to earn more money. We are but seeing that in the wages data, yes. You're seeing it. What you're then seeing is, you know, the average worker is now poking his head up and, and, and realising that, geez, I can put another 50 grand on my base, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's really disrupting the market where you're not necessarily buying the best person anymore. You're just trying to grab a body. Um, and you're seeing av- you know, average people, I mean, that sort of with the greatest of respect, earning huge salaries. Uh, you're really sinking the boot into some areas of the industry, aren't we? There, there, you, there you go. Just get, 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 dig them. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, and, and I've sort of seen a few people in my world sort of take on these roles. And, and, and what you're finding is that, you know, with, with the big salary comes a big target. And, and, you know, you can find yourself in hot water very quickly. Um, it, again, sort of the, my my advice within my network is really, you know, it's a great opportunity to go and move, shift jobs, potentially, you know, earn more money. Uh, but before you sort of get swayed by the salary, really take it, take a, a step back and start looking at yourself. You know, what are your core values? You know, what makes you tick? And so when you go into an interview. You know, you interview the company, right? You're the one with power. Interview the company. Is this is this company going to give you everything you need to be successful? Because if you're just chasing the salary, uh, you know, in six months' time, you could find yourself in hot water. Yeah, that's right. So, so how would you recommend that someone actually puts that together? It, it, it formalise it in some way. I've I've been doing it myself just recently and realizing that there's a lot of stuff that I haven't had a conversation with myself for a while about what I want to get out of out of my industry and what I, what I want to try and do with the remaining years that I have left in this industry, long though they will be. But uh, how, how would you recommend people actually do that? Look, I, I, I don't really have a formal way of doing it. I, you know, I, I believe very much in sort of mentorship and, you know, uh, having people in your network that know you, that know you, the good, the bad and the ugly. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I have these conversations regularly with my sort of mentors and, and, and people in the industry, um, you know, to have a brutally honest conversation about who you are and, and, you know, what do you want? I think, again, it's really easy to look at a job advert on, on Seek or LinkedIn and see a figure and go, I want that figure. Uh, but, but you ignore those things that, that mean something to you. So for, for me, for example, you know, I like to work collaboratively. I like to be in the office with people and bounce ideas off. You know, let's go and spitball that in the pub and then you come up with this great idea. Um, and I know that lots of organisations aren't like that. Uh, you know, you're a lone wolf. And in my, in my world, that doesn't really work for me. So, you know, I think it's, it's that, you know, sit down with a pen, pen and a piece of paper and actually work out or, or think about what you enjoy and what where you've been successful in the past and what has made you successful. Because um, generally, if you're happier, you're going to perform better, right? Uh, and if you would if, think so. If it means taking a salary that's a little bit less, 
but you're in a happy place, the chances are you're probably going to knock your targets out of the park and earn more money anyway. That's uh, that's a very good way of putting it. Now uh, we've got. I'm going to bring in the other guys if they want to join us here, Aspie and Kyle. If, if you want to chip in, talking about the bigger uh, economic cycle that we're seeing here, we've got inflation obviously through the roof. No real sign of exactly when that's going to start coming back. We've got a market that's overcooked with regards specifically to tech. We've got wages data that's still that's still showing up. We've got people job shifting and people are getting paid more money. However, at the same time, what I'm seeing here is what was it, Johnny? You talking about was it Amazon, Microsoft? Who's got um, sales? Uh, AWS just have so Amazon. I think uh, Salesforce have put a freeze on. This is uh, job Microsoft. freezes. Job freezes. So you're looking at those massive organisations. So you know you're looking at tech, and there's loads of jobs out there. And then you're looking at the big boys, go, and they're sort of dialing it back. And, and so you start looking at this and go, oh, is there something happening here? Because it doesn't really seem to add up. And when people like Salesforce and Amazon take a step back. You, you've really got to take note of that, right? Because they don't usually do things like that without having a bit of an insight into what's going on in the future. Yeah, they see the best data as well, which we can talk about. So, I don't know, guys, um, what's what's your take on where the market will, will, will perceive that if we're if we're trying to front, get on the front edge of this one? Well, Kyle? I mean, uh, I only want to play devil's advocate because I think the best thing that I can ever offer here is just to relay what uh, smarter people than me are saying. But you know, one of the, the perhaps um, maybe bull cases or, or glass half full perspectives was that what we're seeing in tech and the job freezes and the job losses um, and to sort of reconcile that with the data that we're getting, which still sort of suggests that, you know, jobs growth is strong in the States, um, unemployment claims are reasonably low, is that we're actually seeing kind of labour mobility. So people that were working in these big sort of perhaps bloated industries, ones that were benefiting during the pandemic as well because everyone was working from home and um, and they were growing very strongly, moving to other areas of the economy, so maybe going back into services, going back into other uh, other industries that um, are sort of short of labour um, and they can better utilise them. So, again, I'm not an economist. I don't know. But the one, you know, maybe maybe the counterpoint to some of the doom and gloom out there is is that it's just it's labour mobility rather than, you know, maybe jobs being, being lost. Maybe that's just wishful thinking. Yeah, uh, John. Anything to uh, to check into that one? Um, look, I, I, not really. I don't, don't. I don't disagree. I guess sort of. I, I sort of sit in a, a tech world, and 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 you know, I, I think you know it is a good opportunity. And um, you know, I might have come across a bit negative. I think it's a great opportunity to to get out there. You know, earn yourself more money. But, you know, before you run into it, make, you know, go go and find something good, something really exciting rather than just the cash. But, you know, there's definitely it, it is an interesting time. And, you know, go forth and multiply. <laughs> OK, all right. Well, look, I'm going to have to wrap it up there unless anyone has got anything else to add. I'm going to talk to Heath Moss from HML, HLM. HLM. Heath Moss from HLM Investments uh, in just a moment. So thanks for joining us there. Kyle Rodder from Ausbiz, Ian Aspital from Open Markets, and uh, Johnny DeBoer. I'm never going to be able to pronounce that right, from our cloud. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Good on you guys. Talk to you Bye-bye. later. Bye. Okay, we're going to get on the show now, and I've got Heath Moss, uh, principal at HLM Investments. Uh, Heath, how are you now? Very good, mate. Very good. Thanks for having me on again. Mate, I've got all sorts of crazy data coming out of the woodwork on this one. I'm looking at freight data that's coming way back down. It was at uh, $10,000, I, I, I assume, per unit. I'll put that uh, 
some links onto that. I'm also seeing huge put buying activity, the sort of stuff that, that scares the uh, scares the Christmas out of people. This is on Sentiment Trader. 22 years of doing this, none stand out like this one. $8.1 billion worth of put options um, and only $1 billion worth of calls bought last week by institutional traders, three times more extreme than 2008. You've got a market that reacted positively over the last couple of days to the same sort of negative sentiment with regards to interest rates going up that spooked the market a couple of weeks ago. What in order? What are you what are you seeing? How's it going? We're in a precarious position at the moment in the market. I think the, the market it can't really make heads or tails of you know what's going to happen with this inflation and rate situation. It's the uncertainty that really the markets hate and you know the market we had yields in that come off about a month ago or so when we had those june lows um and it looked like you know we we're going to get a pivot or a pause or something along those lines and and jay powell at jackson hole the other, other week just sort of totally dismissed that um and even here in the the rba the rba was extremely hawkish in their uh, their, their meeting and their notes of their meeting although they did give some reprieve yesterday in their uh, in um, their speech, uh, Governor Lowe. Um, he did signal that there may be a pause or at least a slowing of rates, uh, rate rises around the corner. So I think that's yeah. where we've seen a bit of positivity come back into the Australian market. Yeah. Um, it was a I light was, local pivot, I would say. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but I'm, I'm surprised by uh, this first time I've seen that uh, the, heard that uh, put uh, data. I mean, looking at the markets at the moment from a technical standpoint, they've they're holding these trend lines and about, have bounced off of them. Um, and I can see like the S and P 500 moving back up to that 4,200, where the next root set of resistance is. The XJO. Um, moving up to back above that 7,000 mark again. Um, but September generally is sort of, we generally tread water, maybe you drift down a little bit. There's a lack of news here in Australia. We've, we've, we've got all of the corporate news out with our earnings, et cetera. And then we just basically wait for October and the third quarter um, reports and updates uh, of how our company trading is going for this one this year, which I think is going to be really, really important because it will give us the first signal this year of how the consumer is going with some of those rate rises which have now flowed through to household budgets. Yeah. Um, they fully all fully haven't yet, um, but how some of that is impacting our discretionary spending moving forward. Yeah, and, and I mean, a really good note that should be noted, uh, I don't know that should be noted, yeah, I'm a, I'm a wordsmith. You can tell that I do this for a living. <laughs> uh, Gareth there put something out on Monday. I've been talking about it all week. Anyone who hasn't read it, you've got to read it. I'll link, I'll link it up on the website on Wheeling Capital where you can see what's going on there. Uh, 25% of the mortgage book is CBA. Sorry, yep. 25% of the country's mortgage book is CBA. Yep. They see data fairly well. There's only a few other places that see data pretty well. Um, I can mention them later on, but... Uh, Gareth's Gareth's, uh, assessment of of exactly what was going on with the pain points. So CBA, from the first rate rise, not the first one, but the first one that people started really worrying about, the 25 basis points in May. From there, then you get a a message. So the bank takes a a few weeks to then say, we're going to raise the rate on your actual actual account. They give you 32 days notice after that. It's really a three-month lag. So it was only last month that people actually started to feel 25 basis points on their accounts. That's why we haven't had that immediate consumer discretionary shock that a lot of people initially said that we were going to get. Now, yes. that, that really needs to be taken into account. Now, now this that we're moving into, this is going to be the spring of our discontent if you want to talk about what's going on. 
I think I think I think consumer discretionary comes off a cliff. I think people just will not spend at all, regardless of what's going on in the jobs market, regardless of what's going on in wages. Physically, mortgage numbers are just going to be too high for people to actually be able to deal with. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm not as pessimistic in terms of discretionary spending as you. I think Wait. Australian households are in a in a very strong position. Savings rates are still high. Speak for yourself, man. Sorry. <laughs> um, and, and like you said, it does take a while to flow through. I think the RBA will pause um, before Christmas and give households a breather, allow data to catch up, allow them to get a gauge of things going. Because the last thing you want to do after what we've been through with COVID and all the money we've spent, the hundreds of billions of money we've spent, is to destroy demand so that we head back into recession and have to almost do it all over again. Yeah, I think yeah. that's that's the worst thing we could do. We've got to find that happy that happy medium of where we we pull back demand and and so it doesn't we don't get that too much demand push inflation, which I think the RBA is really worried about coming forward because because Australian households are so, in such a great position because um, at the moment I believe most in Australia most of it is supply push um, uh, inflation at the moment with demand push to come um, from wages and, you know, a really, really tight jobs market. Our market, jobs market here is so much more tighter than, you know, the US or the UK or somewhere like that. Yeah. Um, so I think, and I think the retail discretionary stocks have mostly factored that in. You look at JB Hi-Fi or Harvey Norman or something, they're all trading around 10 to 11 times forward earnings here. Earnings will come off and slow over, over full year 23 but I don't think it's going to be a cliff. I think the Australian household budget is in fantastic shape. Yeah, no, I, the, the, it, it almost certainly is. I mean, I can't really disagree with you on that. I mean, just, like I said, speak for yourself, though, on, on those ones. Um, <laughs> now, what sectors? Now, keep in mind, we've got the – it, it gets closer and closer. As I keep on talking about it, I've been talking about it all year. I've probably been talking about it from last year. Um, I've started to see – I love when – and I'm definitely not saying that I'm the one who started this, but I love it when I talk about some stuff for a while, and then I start to see it come up from very serious people on Bloomberg and things like that. The People's Congress in China does start in a couple of weeks, 22nd of October, I've got here in China. Xi will be um, given the nod for another five years or made chairman for life, whichever one it is, it doesn't really matter. That My thesis goes that 10 minutes after that happens and probably even into the lead-up to that as, as more as more people start to say exactly what's going to happen, that China overcompensates massively for any of the misses that they've had for the year and 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 last year with regards to their COVID zero policy. COVID zero starts to get unwound and it's off to the races and it's a long copper and it's a long iron ore and it's a long everything situation and China gets us out of any hole that we're in. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, 100% on board with you here. Um, we only saw this week uh, the Secretary of the NDRC saying stimulus would accelerate in the third quarter. Yeah. Um, you've already seen 3.5 trillion one of uh, specialty bonds sold through to August, uh, mainly for the construction and the uh, infrastructure sector over in China. It takes some time for that to roll through and things to actually start getting moving on the ground. I think after October, he, we had have that national conference. He gets his lifetime presidency and uh, it's, it's all on. Then uh, steel mills start cranking up again. Uh, and they, they really start moving because, you know, much like Australia, their, their economy relies heavily on construction um, and infrastructure, providing jobs and pros- the common prosperity theme. They mm. can't have that without construction and infrastructure booming. So 
Um, I think 4U23 is going to be huge for China, and that's obviously a resources play. It's all about, you know, copper and, and things moving forward. Um, so, yeah, and uh, I think through all of this, I think we need to take note of, of uh, uh, lithium in China uh, and, and China and the spot price of lithium in China. It's maintained a price of around $70,000 US a kilo. Uh, really? uh, sorry, a ton. I hadn't sorry. been, I hadn't been following you, so, yeah. this whole time. Um, it did get. I think it peaked around eighty thousand, came off down to the low sixties, and it's still now at seventy thousand. The sales of any, uh, electric vehicles over there are still through the roof. They cannot get enough of lithium, um, and that whole you know uh, Goldman Sachs a note that came out that said lithium prices are going to drop by eighty percent by twenty twenty three just does not look like it's going to play out. And lithium stocks, you look at Pilbara Minerals um, cracking new highs today around the $4.50 mark. They got down to close to $2 a couple of months ago. Uh, so you could have easily doubled your money there. But there, and, and then we have a company like Mineral Resources coming out today saying, you know, we're thinking about spinning out um, our lithium assets onto the ASX um, to realise their full value. But, you know, we're not far along enough to make an official announcement there. So that looks like that's going to happen as well. So lithium is booming um, and uranium. Uranium has come to the forefront again. Um, you've got uh, the US with their um, uh, their new inflation package, which, you know, is supposed to suppress inflation, but will probably um, <laughs> push it higher. Um, yeah. There's a lot of uranium and green energy incentives in there. So they've seen, we've seen uranium stocks, you know, move up quite aggressively um, over the last week or so. I mean, Paladin's moved, I think, about 30% in the last week. Yep. So stocks like that. And you got um, BOE. BOE was in your radar oh, too, wasn't yep. it? So yeah. yep. nothing, new, nothing new under the sun with that one. I prefer, because I'm an international guy, ISO, ISO Energy. They've got, yep. they've got one of the best grades, best deposits of uranium over in Saskatchewan. And um, just... Just to follow on, I think last time I was on, I mentioned uh, Havilah Resources based on their, their copper project yep. um, and the Oz Minerals uh, Agreement. And full, full disclosure, we've got um, um, I own them personally and so do clients. I'm advising on them. Uh, but they've also got a nice little uranium project that sits really close to BOE's Oz <laughs> Energy's honeymoon um, project here in South Australia that yeah, they're yeah, also looking to so. skin out. Yes, they're also looking to spin that out as an IPO. Um, so keep an eye on that. So it's it's sort of a little. Not many people know about it. It doesn't seem to be getting much traction. Well, so we're um, it's, it now. So yeah. So uh, have a resources great. as well. HAV mm. trading on the ASX. Um, that's mm. that's the big general advice only. I don't need to tell you uh, about how this works, guys. Do your own research. Do your own homework on that one. Any other sectors that you're looking at uh, on the way through, brother? Um, mainly looking at those inflation hedges still, uh, I think, uh, in Australia, with no chance of a recession here in the next, say, 18 months. So rates will continue to grind higher. So looking at those stocks that, that to sort of offset that, you know, Woolworths, Transurban, uh, even like a, a Charterhall uh, Whale, uh, REIT, uh, CLW is their code. They all have their inbuilt uh, structures where they offset inflation and actually benefit from it in the longer run. So I've started adding more of those to client portfolios over, over the last couple of weeks. Um, and I think that's not a if – you're, if you're sort of a longer-term investor, looking at those sorts of things as well. Excellent. Excellent. I have been myself um, adding to – so I've, I've got a lot of cash on accounts. So I downgraded positions from, from a, a, an overweight sort of invested to being an underweight invested, so still invested. 
um, but just having more cash on accounts. It's still still diverse and across the board. So mm-hmm. it's 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 caught it's caught the rally quite well. It was protected quite well during during the, the savagery of the last couple of weeks, though. So that's been good. What I've been doing is I'm adding that money into the market, into the into the bonds space, just allocating and, uh, and, and just accumulating there. Happy to keep on adding either up or down, um, depending on which way it goes. But just going to eventually, and this is my goal, is buy for balanced accounts for whom it's appropriate. I'll be by January looking at maybe being completely 60-40. Um, and, uh, yeah, 60-40. Yeah, the old six, the old sixty forty. It it will it will have an amazing couple of years after this year. Now it's on track for its worst ever. The sixty forty portfolio on on track for its worst, obviously with equities and the bonds uh, bond market have taking a bit of a hit as well with yields rising. So uh, that's now probably going to switch around and reverse. So I want to make sure I've got a really good bond allocation going into next year. That's uh, and that's only for the clients for whom it is appropriate, which is most of them. And, and that's a sixty forty that would only be for a balanced account. Check your statement of advice, and if you listen to Ian Aspinall, then, man, what's happening in that advice space is going to be a lot of fun over the next year or two. Mm, huge changes coming, possibly. Yep, yep. All right, uh, mate, with nothing else to talk about, I'm going to wrap it up and get some editing done. No worries. Have a good one, mate. And you too. Uh, that's me. You can, uh, that's the end for the show. You can find us on iTunes, The Dip Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Twitter. I've also got all of this stuff, and, wow, we've got a lot of stuff to get through. I'm going to chuck it all up onto the website, Whelan Capital. It's where everything is. Um, thanks for joining us. Uh, I am at James Whelan42 on the Twitter. Heath is at uh, HeathMoss83, I think. Yep, uh, correct. Uh, and, look, the show is produced by, well, screw it, it's produced by me. Uh, no secret on that one. I get it done quick. We'll get this out this afternoon. Um, so um, make sure you do your HAV buying before this hits the streets, mate. Uh, I'm just kidding, obviously. Um, now, <laughs> uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, everyone.